How's everybody doing? One person so far asked me, what is that chart doing on the left? Well, you'd be your right, my left of the, of the, uh, of the altar up here. And so I'm going to talk about that a little bit this morning. I want to tell you a little bit about what it is. Uh, I know you probably can't read the number that's on there, and that's really not the point. Uh, but I'll, I'll tell you what the number is, and I'm going to talk about it a little bit uh, here this morning. Uh, before we pray over the offering, and then I have a message as well, so this won't be everything that I'm sharing this morning, but there's a message as well I feel like God has put on my heart for those who are here today, really, uh, and it's really for myself as well. But what I want to talk about is there's been, I think I mentioned it last week, there's been words that have been spoken over this church, prophetic words that have been spoken over this church, and uh, one of the initial words that we heard was that this church is, is Uh, a place that will move people from death to life. And it was death to life. And that was just a word that we held fast to, we held on to. We actually have our... Our water baptism shirts say death to life on them. You know, the tub that we baptize in says death to life wrapped around it. And really that was just something we've been standing on, uh, death to life. Another word that we had been standing on was marked by miracles. I believe I talked about that a little bit last week. That this church has always been, for the past 31 years, and always will be marked by miracles. And we will see miracles of uh, healings, miracles in the financial realm, miracles in relationships, miracles of those turning their hearts to, to God, and just miracle after miracle after miracle. And then one I want to talk about this morning and you guys will probably remember it, but the word uh, was given actually over Brother Paul Luciano. He's not here. But when we first initially started and it was determined that we were going to be the next senior pastors of the church, we were at a lunch. And we were at a lunch at Pastor Jim and Pam's house. And we were sitting around the table and we were eating. And Paul looked directly at us. He was across the table from us. And he said that the word of the Lord for this church is this, provision and harvest provision and harvest. And that was spoken, you know, a couple years ago over this church when we took over. And it's surely just been in the back of my heart, in the back of our minds, knowing that the Lord is going to work. And I started asking, Lord, well, what is provision? Provision is everything that we need for the journey. Everything that we need. No matter what your journey is, no matter what your journey is on, the provision part of it is that he will provide everything you need for the journey that he has you on. And harvest, harvest is this, it's the process of gathering. It's the process of gathering the crops. It's a process of seeing those, this vision that we have of seeing the lost saved, the sick healed, lives transformed, and families thriving. That is the harvest portion of it. So what we believe is God will provide financially for every need that this church has. Because at this church, we are working to be a church like just in the book of Acts. We want to see these things happen. We want to see the lost saved. We want to see the sick healed. We want to see lives transformed. And we want to see families thriving. And so we've been talking about being debt free at this church. We've been talking about it a lot We've had campaigns in the past trying to bring our debt down and wanted to get debt free. But here's what I remember and here's what I know even just from a business perspective. What gets measured gets done. How many know this is true in our lives, right? What gets measured gets done. And we felt inclined really to make it visible 
what the debt, current outstanding debt was that this church had. And here's the testimony that I want to share this morning as we're talking about it. I wrote a letter, we wrote an email to the financial board. It was in October of 2019. So call it uh, 15 months or so ago. And I want to read parts of this letter to you that we talked about. It says this. It says, We have not talked about this openly until now, but over the past few months, we have really felt that God wanted to start doing miracles in the financial realm in the same manner that he is doing in the physical realm. We have seen healing after healing, week after week. Stories of doctors being amazed, of medical procedures being canceled. This has, come, has become to what we expect. We've raised our expectations, praise God. This move is moving into the financial realm and has been prophesied over the church in a few different places. Provision and harvest. Your vision is too small. You'll be floored by provision. And we believe at this time God is directing us to balance the budget and take any money that comes in for our building fund or generations and put it directly towards the mortgage principal. Directly towards. Every dollar that's given, we take 90% of it and we put it towards the debt. We take 10% of it and we set it aside to bless those who are in need and we have a benevolence fund. Here's the exciting part. Again, this was written about a year and a half ago. The Holy Spirit led me completely off of my notes. I began to talk about paying off the debt at an accelerated rate. I said two, three, even four times faster. At the same time, the Lord began to give Liz a clear picture and a word of direction. It says, if you step out and walk in this way, I will do it. He will do it. He will make a way. It is his intention that this church is debt-free. And what this chart is, it's just showing the goodness of God. That together we're going to be able to watch the goodness of God as we bring down the debt. As he brings down the debt through us, through others, how whatever, however he chooses. I always laugh. I said, LeBron James could be watching our service today and he could decide to pay off all the debt. So I'm not asking it's all of you. It's just whatever, however God wants to do it. But I want you to be in prayers. Are you to be partnering with that in some way, shape, or form? And so we said this campaign will be big and bold and totally God. We truly believe that we are marked by miracles and we know that God is moving. We will not be seeking pledges or commitments. We will simply give the testimony to the people and invite them to be part of what God is doing. When I wrote this email, the current debt that we had was $1,262,000 to pay off. And I know you can't see the number, but what we're revealing this morning is that number was that first box on the top left-hand side when we wrote this just over a year ago. Each one of those boxes, church, represents $25,000 of debt. So since this email was written, that's four boxes, Four times 25 is 100. We're going to math class. The Lord has been able to reduce our debt by $100,000. Amen? Amen. Give, him a, give the Lord a hand. So here's what we want to do. is We're going to the current number that's open. You can see it. You know, After church, you can come up. It says 1,150,000. The actual number right now is 1,143,000. 
And so every time that we reduce this debt by $25,000, we're going to put a, 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 you know, the X off the one that's done, and we'll reveal a new one. And the, the very last block down there, maybe I shouldn't tell them what it says, but you guys know what it says. Basically, zero, debt-free, in Jesus' name. And that's what we believe for this church, is to be debt-free. You know, Jeremy Gall talked this last week about instructions for end times. How many were blessed by Jeremy Gall's message, amen? Instructions for end times. We're in the world, but not of it. And what he reminded us of is to stand on God's word and to stand on God's promises. And here's the promise we're going to stand on. And I would encourage you to stand on this promise in your own life as well. Grace, if you want to pull up Deuteronomy 28, I believe I have that scripture up there. It says this. It says, the Lord will open to you his good treasure. He will open to you his good treasure, the heavens, to give the rain to your land in its season. Talking about seasons again this morning. And to bless all the work of your hand. You shall lend to many nations, but you shall not borrow. Next verse. And the Lord will make you the head and not the tail. You shall be above only and not beneath. If you heed the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you today, and are careful to observe them. I believe the Lord commanded us to be debt free. We began to work the budget to be there. We've committed to take every dollar that's given to this and take 90% of that money and, and put it towards the debt. And we believe that God is going to do this work. Amen? God is going to do this work. And so as I was praying about this and believing for this, the scripture that we have up there is Ephesians 3, 20 and 21. It says this, Now to him who is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we can ask or think, according to the power that works in us, to him be the glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. This is his deal. This is his vision. This is what he wants. And I say, Lord, why do you want this? A lot of people have mortgages. I'm not saying mortgages are bad. Why do you want this? And I really believe that the Lord is saying back to that vision that the Lord wants to see as we move into these end times or one day closer to whatever it is that's in front of us, that he wants to see a bigger and bigger harvest. And what this is, is this is the provision to reach a bigger harvest. Amen? It's the ability to do additional things that the Lord is calling us to go do. And as soon as I was praying about this, I opened a letter in the mail. One of the partner ministries that we have, of course, Rich and Erica, you guys are very familiar with Mark and Victoria Bowling. And they said something in their letter that just hit me like a ton of bricks. And the Lord just reminded me, this is exactly what I'm calling ECF to go do. And what they referenced in their letter was the story out of 2 Kings chapter 4. And this story is the story of the widow. The widow who had lost her husband. She had some sons. She had debt to pay. And Elijah, the prophet, asked her this question. He says, what do you have in the house? What do you have? What do you have in this house? And her response was, well, I have this little jar of oil. And here's 
what Elijah said in verse 3. I believe I have that up here. This is 2 Kings uh, chapter 4, starting in verse 3. And then he said, go borrow vessels from everywhere. Go borrow the vessels from everywhere. From all your neighbors. Empty vessels. Empty ones. Just go get them. Go gather them up. Do not gather just a few. And when you have come in, you shall shut the door behind you, you and your sons. Then pour into all those vessels and set aside the full ones. And so she went from him, shut the door behind her and her sons, who brought the vessels to her, and she poured it out. And it came to pass that the vessels were full. This multiplication that God is doing, as she took the step of faith, as she began to pour the oil, God did the multiplication. This is a step of faith. We're just showing you where it's at. We're taking a step of faith saying we're going to balance a budget. We're going to put money towards the debt. We're going to see God move in multitudes and in power and in multiplication. Came to pass when the vessels were full, she said to her son, bring me another vessel. And he said to her, there is not another vessel. So the oil ceased. When she came and told the man of God, Elijah, he said, go sell the oil Pay your debt, pay it off, and you and your sons will live on the rest. And here's what I saw in this, in this verse. Is, look, they went and had to go borrow as many vessels as possible. And the oil kept multiplying and multiplying until there were no more vessels available. And here's what I see at this church, that there are vessels out there that need Jesus Christ. And I don't believe that he is ever going to stop pouring that oil on this church and blessing our finances. And I'm not saying we have to do this and other things are going to stop. What I'm saying is there is a field of harvest that is out there. And this is just one way, this provision, as God delivers us from the dead and pays that debt off, that we're going to see even a bigger and greater harvest. There's no lack, there's no shortage of empty vessels out there that need Jesus which means this oil is not going to stop. And so we are going to find, and the Lord is going to lead us, and he is going to guide us to empty vessel after empty vessel after empty vessel, and we, the church, will be pouring out his oil, his goodness, his faithfulness, and we're going to see a great harvest. Amen? So this is what this is up here for. I want to ask you this morning, and I'm going to pray over the offering here. I ask you this morning, just begin to ask the Lord, are you to partner with seeing this debt paid off? Yes or no? I don't know what the answer is. I'm not telling you what it is. You have to go seek the Lord in that. I will tell you that the Lord in the Bible makes it really clear. This is not, I'm going to take half my tithes and offerings, I'm going to split it and then put it on the second line in the offering envelope to see the debt go down. I truly believe this is something, if the Lord is telling you to do it, this is above and beyond your tithes and offerings. And I truly believe, as we've had testimonies after testimony, that when there's a partnership with seeing something, when you partner with a fruit, a fruit of being debt-free, you begin to see debt freedom in your own life. And I want you just to stand on that word and stand on what that word is on Deuteronomy 28 that we said. So I just want you to pray about it, think about it, ask the Lord what it is. I'm not looking for a pledge. I'm not asking for a campaign. I'll probably talk about it maybe for the next two weeks 
I don't want to talk about it at Easter. I wanted to get it done and behind us before Easter even came. And I'm excited when we start pulling more and more of those, those, those pieces of sky off and we see that debt come down in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just thank you, Lord, for your goodness and your faithfulness. We thank you, Lord, that you have called and commanded this church to be debt-free. So, Father, we want to honor you and we want to do our part to participate in the work and the moving that you are doing. Father, we just are reminded that there are empty vessels out there. Empty vessels, Lord, that you have placed right in front of us. Lord, give us the strength, the courage, and thank you for your Holy Spirit to allow us to minister to those who you have put before us, Lord. And we thank you, Lord, that we call this place and declare it debt-free in Jesus' name, that this building is paid off, Lord, and that the money you have coming in, Lord, is freed up to do even more, more, and more harvesting for your kingdom. We thank you for these things in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. All right, thank you, Leanne. All right, open up your Bibles to Acts chapter 10. Acts chapter 10. You say, well, you didn't finish 1 John yet. Yeah, I know. It's all good. That's right. I said, Lord, because I read the next portion of 1 John. I said, Lord, is this what you want me to preach on this week? And every time I asked him, he kept saying, I'm no respecter of persons. And so I said, well, I know, I know, I know. But 1 John chapter 3 is where we left off. And he said, I'm no respecter of persons. I was like, I know. You've already told me that. I get it. It's kind of what Jeremy Gall was saying last week. Like, I get it. I get it. I get it. I get it. But talk to me, Lord, about 1 John chapter 3. And honest to goodness, it was like, no, Jason, hello. I want you to talk about that I am no respecter of persons. And so guess what my message is this morning? That's right, how God is no respecter of persons. And so I want to talk about this. So Acts chapter 10, and we're going to read in verse 34. We're just going to read verse 34, then I'm going to talk about this for a little bit. And the story surrounding here in Acts chapter 10 is Peter goes to Cornelius' house. Peter has a, well, Cornelius has a dream and says, you know, basically go get Peter. Peter has a dream, so someone's going to come and ask you to come to my house. And Cornelius is open and wants to hear the message of the Lord. He wants to hear the message of salvation. He wants his house to hear everything of the goodness of God and how faithful God is and who God is and that he's a saving God. And the very first thing here it says in verse 34 Then Peter opened his mouth and said. This is like the opening line of the sermon. Like the one that should catch your attention, yeah? The one that says, oh, this is like, you know, the hook. The hook they teach you in Bible school. Like, you know, you have a hook when you open up uh, the message. My hook was what the Lord was saying, right? There's a hook. It says, what do you want to talk about here? And it says this. Peter opened his mouth and said, In truth, I perceive that God shows no partiality. 
He shows no favoritism. He is no respecter of persons. I said, Lord, this is great. But what does this really mean? Like, Lord, what does this really mean? That you are no respecter of persons. That you don't show impartiality. That you don't show favoritism in any way. And I believe he gave me four things this morning that I want to share with you. And you can write these down as notes. And I believe that there's more. And maybe there'll be a part two next week. I don't know. But I've got these four so far. Of what this means. That God is no respecter of persons. Let me just tell you a funny story before I get to number one. How many of you enjoy watching sports at all on TV, even just a little bit? Okay, so you kind of will get this analogy a little bit. I only have sports analogies mostly, so for those who don't watch sports, I'm sorry, just follow with me. So this was a Super Bowl, I don't know how many years ago, it was when the Philadelphia Eagles were playing against the New England Patriots. I believe that was the Super Bowl. And my daughter Anna, who is here with us, look, she's like, oh my gosh, I can't believe he's saying something about me. We were watching the Super Bowl, and one of the announcers, let's just say they were, he was showing favoritism and partiality to one of the teams. Now, as an announcer, you are supposed to be completely impartial. Like, you're not supposed to say one team or the other or look at this. And this guy was going on and on and on about the New England Patriots. And as in our house, we were Philadelphia Eagles fans, brother, Andy, woo-hoo, the Eagles, grew up a little north of Philadelphia, so sorry, Pittsburgh fans, Philadelphia fans, but we were Eagles fans, and it was like we were listening to this going, what on earth is he doing? Like, he is blatantly showing favoritism to the New England Patriots. I don't care about Tom Brady and how many Super Bowls he won. I don't care how good-looking he is. I mean, it was unbelievable that his wife is a supermodel. My goodness, shut up already. Like, say something nice about the Eagles. And he was going on and on like this was every... Oh, the, the New England Patriots. And Anna was just like, what is wrong with that guy? She was getting ticked off. She was voicing her opinion. Like, and Anna doesn't normally voice her opinion on stuff. She's like, mm, this is messed up. This is not right. This is not how it should be. And I will tell you that at the end of the game, the Philadelphia Eagles did win that Super Bowl. I know Tom Brady wins every Super Bowl he plays, but not that one. And But it's just, I was reminded as I heard that, when you see these two things who are kind of somewhat equal they're both in the Super Bowl but when someone is showing favoritism or partiality you're like wait a second this isn't right this isn't how it should be and what the Lord is saying to us is he wants you to know this morning that he shows no favoritism towards anybody He loves you and cares for you as much as he does for the person sitting to your left and the person sitting to your right and the person who was homeless in downtown Erie. And as much as he loves the preacher who has a thousand or a million followers on TikTok, whatever. He shows no partiality. None. Zero. I'm like, Lord, well, show me, what does that mean? Number one, 
we all will stand before him on judgment day. That's right. That's right. No matter who you are, no matter who it is, you will stand before him on judgment day. This is in the Bible. This is going to happen. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter your background. It doesn't matter your upbringing. It doesn't matter at all. And I tell you what, when I stand before him, I want to be assured that I am in that book of life. I want to be assured that I have made Jesus Christ my Lord and Savior. That have I accepted him and received him. And I want to tell you this morning, that doesn't mean that your life becomes magically easy. Just come up here and accept Jesus Christ and all your problems will go away. That's not in the Bible. <laughs> it is not in the Bible. It is a misrepresentation of God, of Jesus, of who he is and what he has done. His goal is to make us whole. And sometimes to make us whole, there's some shifting. There's some shaking. There's some sifting. There's some breaking. There's some molding. All of these are not fun words. But I tell you what, is his ultimate goal is wholeness. And what he wants, God's will, is that none should perish without knowing him. His will is that each of us, every single one in this room, listening online, everyone you pass in the grocery store, everyone of all over the earth, the billions and billions of people, it is his will that they will all be saved, that they will come to know him. And we are his hands and feet. But I want you to know that there is no partiality in it. You'd be like, well, you know, I've, I've been doing real good. I think I get to skip the judgment time when I'm sitting before the Lord. No, no. No partiality. No favoritism. You're going to be in the seat. You're going to be in the seat. You're going to be there. So I ask you this morning, when you are there, do you know? Do you know what he's going to say? Have you received him? Have you accepted him? Have you made him Lord and Savior in your life? Have you walked that path? Have you received that great gift of salvation? Because I tell you, no matter who you are, you're going to be before him. And I'll do an invitation at the end, because if that's you this morning, if you feel like I'm talking specifically to you, we're going to give you a chance to receive Jesus today. So number one, we will all stand before him on judgment day. Number two, he does not see you any different than he sees anyone else. You know, guys, I try to come up with like a shorter phrase. Like, I'm gonna, I'll say it again because it's not a short phrase. Those who are taking notes are like, oh my gosh, like point number two is like 12 words long. That's not helpful. Okay, but I was like, Lord, give me a shorter one. He couldn't, he didn't give it to me. So here it is. He does not see you any different than anyone else. Whoa. No favoritism. No partiality. You say, but you know, I, I think God, you know, I think he likes those who are preachers more than me. Nope. I, you know, I... There are certain gifts that people have that I just think that God likes more than the gifts that I have. 
Nope. No, you see, he created you specifically to be you, not to be me, not to be Regina, not to be Uncle Don, not to be Roberto. He created you specifically to be you. And he doesn't want you to try to be somebody else. Because when we try to be somebody else, we think that it must be that we are smarter than God. Guys, I'm preaching to myself here this morning because sometimes I get frustrated with how God created me or this or that. Because here's the thing, and I've told people this over and over in sessions that I've had, is that your greatest strength is also your weakness. You're like, Pastor Jason, what are you talking about? How could my greatest strength also be my weakness? It's because we're human, and because we're flesh, and because God has given us certain gifts and talents and personalities, we use them sometimes too much to a fault. And I always tell the story because he's not here. I had a guy that I worked with at GE, and one of his giftings was he was passionate He was a passionate person. And, you know, he's one of those guys where, like, you'd run into the, like, whatever it was. Like, if there was a battle, there was a war, there was a fight. Like, you were going with this guy because he was rallying the troops. He's like, let's go. We're going to do this. This is going to get done. I mean, I should have brought him in to do the debt chart discussion. He'd have been slamming his hand on the wall. He'd have been crawling up. He'd been ripping things down. This is what was going to happen here. Like, and you'd be like, yeah, yeah, let's go. And this was a strength of his. And you're like, man, dude, you are so inspiring. But at the same time, if you crossed his path, the same passion and the same intensity in which he was rallying the troops, he could take down the troops at the same time. You understand what I'm saying? And that's just us being human. Like, we default to our strengths, and that's okay. We use our strengths. We have to be careful of that. But what I want to tell you is God does not show favoritism because that guy was a passionate guy, and maybe you are not quite as vocal or as passionate. That doesn't mean that he likes you any different. That he loves you any different. It doesn't matter of the color of your skin. Church, it does not matter the color of your skin. It doesn't matter your background. It doesn't matter where you were born. It doesn't matter that you live on the east side or the west side. He shows no favoritism. No impartial. I mean, he's totally impartial. Totally impartial. And sometimes, you know, I live in Fairview. Got a nice shirt. I mean, I live in Fairview. You know. And, and, and God's like, you know, the suit jacket's nice. It fits nice. Whatever. But I, I do some consulting work downtown a couple days a week. And I encourage you sometimes to remind yourself and go downtown. Or go to the east side sometimes. And I'm not saying this, we should feel bad that we're blessed. And we have some things, but I think we need to be reminded that that person who's living on the street, God doesn't think any different of them, doesn't love them any differently than me standing here in Fairview with my suit jacket on. 
But we have to be reminded of that, that he's no respecter of persons, that he cares and he loves that person as much as he loves you. And that no matter how God wired you, no matter what your Enneagram is or whatever it is, I get frustrated with that thing, but whatever, whatever personality test you took, whatever Myers-Briggs, if you're a TGIF, I think that's not even one of them, I think that's a restaurant. Is that a restaurant? That's a restaurant. Can you be a TGIF on the, I don't know, you can't. Or if you took the DISC assessment or whatever, whatever, God doesn't love you any different than the person next to you. He just made you differently. And when we try to be someone else, it's like, Lord, well, I must be smarter because I think I should be like somebody else. He just wants us to be more like Jesus. But be you. But be you. More like Jesus, but be you. That's what he wants for your life. This is what he means. This is what he means where he's no respecter of persons. Number three. It says as many words as the last one. <laughs> God does not love you any more or any less than someone else. God does not love you any more or any less than somebody else. I think we get caught in this trap of, oh, I made a mistake, I sinned, and God doesn't love me anymore. Not true. Not biblical. Not true. God loves you. No matter what you did, God loves you. No matter how you treated your kids on the way to church this morning, God loves you. And he doesn't love you any less because of your actions. I think we need to get a hold of that. Now, do our actions... Is there obedience and blessing when we are walking and being obedient to God? Yes. I'm not talking about that. I'm saying that God does not show favoritism. God is no respecter of persons, which means deep down, truly God loves you as much as he loves me. Completely the same. He created you. He loves you. You need to know this morning that you cannot do anything to make God love you any less. And the flip side is also true. You can't do anything to make him love you anymore. Can't do it. And the reason why he gives us commandments to follow is because he loves us. Because he cares for us. And he wants us to avoid some of the trappings of the flesh that we get ourselves caught into. But it doesn't mean that he loves you any different. Doesn't mean it. He loves you. He loves you. No matter what you did yesterday, a month ago, a year ago, ten years ago, what you're going to do tomorrow or the next day or ten years from now, he loves you. Completely impartial. No respecter of persons. No matter what country you're from, doesn't matter. He loves you. And number four, The promises in his word are as much for you as they are for anyone else. Come on, church, get a hold of this this morning. 
The promises in this word, in God's word, are as much for you as they are for anyone else. If you've received Jesus, you've accepted him as your Lord and Savior, and you stand on these scriptures and on these words and on these promises, they are as much for you as they are for anybody else. Say, well, you know, I don't know. That's, I don't know if that really applies to me. Oh, it applies to you. Well, you know, he's, we won't leave or forsake us, but I don't know, I feel like he did leave me. No. He does not leave. He does not forsake. I want to read a few promises here, and I want you just to listen to them. I don't have them on the screen, so I just want you to hear me. Because, like I said, his promises in his word are as much for you as they are for anybody else. Here's some promises of his goodness. It says in Psalm 145, The Lord is good to all. To all. He has compassion on all he has made. In 1 Chronicles 16, it says, Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, and his love endures forever. This is a promise that you can stand on. Everyone that hears my voice, you can stand on this promise. You can stand on it. 2 Samuel 7 says, Sovereign Lord, you are God. Your covenant is trustworthy. And you have promised these good things to your servant. Psalm 84, for the Lord, God, is a sun and shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk in blamelessness. Promises. There's no favoritism. There's no partiality in the promises in this word that they are for you. And we need to believe that they're for us. We need to receive that they're for us. We need to find the promises in here that line up with the challenges that we have up here and put them side by side and begin to say, no, this is the promise, this is the lie. I think you've talked about this a couple times. Write the lies down on one side of what you're believing and then find the truth in the scripture on the other side and believe, believe, believe that they cancel out the lie. The word cancels out the lie. We've been saying this. The enemy comes to steal what we believe. He comes to steal the word on what we believe. So when we have the word in front of us, and you match it up against the lie that we're believing that we're not good enough, that we made too many mistakes, that he doesn't like my personality, that, I've, that whatever it is on your side, on the lie list, find the promise that corresponds to that, that crushes that lie. And then read it over and over and over and over again. It's like a homework assignment. I don't want you to leave here and be like, oh, that was a great message, or that was a terrible message, or whatever you think. I don't care. I do care a little bit. Because I love you, and I want to help you. But I want you to leave here and say, what, what are the lies that I'm believing, and what are the promises that cancel out those lies? And stand on those, and read those, and believe those. I don't know what they are. Sid, if you want to come back up, we're going to close here. 
I read some of the promises of His goodness. Here's some of His promises that He's with us all the time. Isaiah 43, when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. When you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. Deuteronomy 31 says this, The Lord Himself goes before you. He Himself goes before you and will be with you. He will never leave you or forsake you. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. There's promises regarding His provision. In 2 Corinthians 9 it says, And God is able to bless you abundantly, so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. If you believe that the the lie that the Lord does not want to pay all your bills and help you in your finances, then put that verse next to it. And read it over and over. It says, no, it says God is able to bless us abundantly. So that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. Romans 8 says this, He who did not spare His own Son, but gave Him up for us all, how will He not also along with Him graciously give us all things? There's promises on answered prayer. Maybe you came in this morning, but I just I don't think the Lord hears me when I pray. I feel like nothing happens. It says this in my Bible, James 1, chapter 5, If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God. And He gives generously and without finding fault. It will be given to you. And the following words is you just have to believe. That's what I'm talking about this morning. You have to believe that God shows no favoritism. You have to believe that He's no respecter of persons. You have to believe that as you're sitting here today, that these promises are for you. You have to believe today that He loves you, no matter who you are, no matter what you've done. And you have to know that someday you will stand before Him. You will stand before Him someday. And I want you to know this morning that you can be assured that He will welcome you into His kingdom with open arms. Because ultimately, what, re- what else really matters? What else really matters? I know a lot of things matter to us on this world and on this earth. The Bible says we're here just for a short time. But a vapor. Sometimes it feels like forever. <laughs> Sometimes a day feels like forever. Sometimes a week goes quick. But before each and every one of us know it, there will be a time when we are standing before the Lord. And I want you to know this morning that He loves you, that He created you, that He is no respecter of persons, and that His promises are as much for you as they are for anyone else. Bow your heads this morning. One of the promises in His Word says this. In 1 John, it says, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just and will forgive us of our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. 
If you're here this morning, you've never, you just, you've never received Jesus as your Lord and Savior. You've heard it spoken about. Maybe you've attended this church multiple times. I want you to know that today is the day of salvation. Today is the day you can receive that beautiful, wonderful gift of Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins. So that on that judgment day, on that day where you are standing before the Lord, He'll receive you in with open arms. That's you this morning. I just want you to slip your hand up. I see your hand, man. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Father, thank you, Lord, for your goodness, for your faithfulness. Thank you, Lord. If you raise your hand, I'm going to ask you to do something bold. Because, you know, when you make a decision for Jesus and say, I want him in my life, it's not a small thing. And it takes an act of faith. And it takes steps of faith to say that I want to receive that. So if you raised your hand this morning, I just want you to meet me up here at the front, just right now. Just come on up. We're going to pray for you this morning. Come on, brother. (laughs) Thank you, Jesus. What's awesome about the Lord is his impartiality. Imagine a mother who favors one of her children over the others. That would be a bad mom, right? If I taught one of my children to swim because I didn't want them to drown in the pond on the property, but didn't bother to teach the others, didn't bother to hold them up to the same standard. They didn't have to obey the command of don't go out to the pond by yourself. I didn't hold them. Just, just, just you. You're not allowed to go because I'm concerned for your safety. What a bad mother that would make me. If I changed the commandments because it was harder for some to obey than the others. It's love. His love is pure. And it's the impartiality of his requirements that make that love pure, that make that love good. And the world today will say, well, if God really was loving, then he wouldn't make me change this about me, or he wouldn't force me to, to be this way. That is not true. I force my kids to be all kinds of ways that are good for them, that lead them in the ways of life. I don't let them drink beer for breakfast. That's not going to lead them in the way of life. They don't really want that. But if they did, if they were 16 or 17, no, I will not allow that because I love you and because I know what, what leads to the ways of life in their life. And God wants to lead us in the ways of life. And he knows, he knows his timing is perfect. 
His timing is perfect. And he doesn't love the shiny pennies. That's what I call. And I mean, this has been a hard pill for me to swallow. Because the world, the world loves the shiny pennies more. That's just the way it is. They accomplish more. They get promoted. They get, you know, those people who know all the right things to say, who can schmooze just the right way. Those people make it in the world. But God's kingdom is not this world. That's right. That's right. And that, I mean, we have to wrap our heads and our hearts around that. That's why, that's why the word of God is, doesn't change. Amen. So we can depend on it. Amen. Our feelings, if your feelings are different than the truth, trust the truth of this word Amen. over your feelings. Amen. It's hard. Amen. And he doesn't despise us because it's hard. Amen. And he doesn't rush us. It takes us some time sometimes to get our feelings to line up Amen. with the truth. I don't always feel like God adores me, but he does. That's right. And I choose to believe it. I choose to speak it, but I don't always feel it. Ruby Lou has no problem believing that God adores her. The whole wide world adores her. She feels it. She believes it, you know, and I love that about her. I love that. But we're not all like Ruby Lou. We're not all being raised like Ruby Lou. When your feelings feel different than the truth of this word, the promises of God, trust the promises because they don't change. Our feelings change. Our thoughts change. What we know changes over time. His word doesn't change. That's why, that's why you believe in Jesus. That's why you choose to get up out of your seat and to walk down or raise your hand. We've all been there. We've all done it. We've all had that moment where the Holy Spirit stirred us up on the inside and called us out. And he doesn't stop calling us out. He calls me out to do things. Sometimes I'm just like, oh, do I really have to do that? (laughs) And he calls me out into ways of obedience that are sometimes hard. But the reward is always great. The reward is always exceedingly abundantly above what I could have ever imagined. Amen. Amen. We've got some prayer team uh, people that are going to be coming up to the front here. So if you need prayer for anything, uh, they'll be up here to pray with you. Maybe it's relationship, physical thing, maybe just agreement for something you're going through that you want to see, you know, the Lord continue to move into the other side. They'll be up here at the end of service. I just want to read this benediction. Just kind of close your eyes and receive this. You just said it. It's up there. I'll say it again. Now to him who is able, to him who is able to do exceeding abundantly above all, above all that we can ask or think according to the power that works in us. To Him be the glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen Amen. and amen. You are dismissed. Have a wonderful afternoon. And if you need prayer for anything, just come on up here. The prayer teams will be ready. And we'll see you soon.